And what we have just done with the Venables is, in some respects, what we're going to look at together in Acts chapter 20 here together this morning. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and following. I'm going to start reading in verse 17. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, which is a city there in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, right? So if you know where Turkey is on the map, Miletus is, is in Turkey. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Miletus is about 30 miles away from Ephesus. Paul is in Ephesus, excuse me, in Miletus. And he sends a messenger to the city of Ephesus and says, get those pastors and bring them here. 30 miles. It's a lot, right? There's no, there's no airplane or train. Like they got, he's got to go and get them and bring them back. And when they came to him, the pastors of the church at Ephesus, he said to them, you know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that, I, that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. You notice what he's saying there, verse 22? I don't know what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem. And then verse 23, actually, I do know what's going to happen in Jerusalem because the Spirit's already told me in every city that I go to, I'm going to be imprisoned and afflictions await me. I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Brothers and sisters, you and I live every day with that as the primary, as our lives, as the most precious. I count my life as of no value, nor as precious to myself. I, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock with which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I covet no one's silver or gold, or apparel. You and I, you and I often cover each, co covet each other's silver, or gold, or apparel, or pickup trucks, or hunting rifles. I mean, I've heard that's the kind of thing people would covet. 
you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things, I have shown you, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Father, uh, you know that I feel unusually weak this morning. And, and I'm guessing that there may be others of my brothers and sisters in here this morning who feel similarly. We just feel weak. Maybe we know why, maybe we don't. Maybe it's explicable. Maybe it's unexplicable. We're distracted. Uh, we are frustrated or annoyed or fearful or all of the above. And so, Spirit of God, we are keenly aware that we need you. Spirit, would you please come and calm us this morning and help us this morning and strengthen us by your Spirit in our inner being this morning and give us grace Help us as we look into your word. Help us to have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that feel and brains that understand. God, would you help us with this passage this morning? And Father, I also ask that you would use this passage this morning. I pray that you would use it in a very specific way. I pray that you would use it in many ways, and in many ways that I would never, that we, we could never imagine. But God, I, I do want to pray that you would even use this passage this morning to start a fire in the lives of some men and women in here who would be willing to follow you in full-time ministry in some way, shape, or form. God, would you please use your word to do that in some men and women in this room this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen. If I could be like Mike, does anybody remember that phrase and what that's from? Sometimes I dream that he is me like Mike. If I could be like Mike, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Man, there, I'm proving myself older and older. I'm, I'm proud of the fact that my son knows what I'm talking about. Michael Jordan. You do know who Michael Jordan is, I hope. When I was 12 to 20, Michael Jordan was in his absolute prime heyday. And I watched everything I could watch Michael Jordan playing live basketball games, Michael Jordan movies, Michael Jordan videos. There wasn't YouTube, but had there been YouTube, at that time I would have been on repeat watching Michael Jordan. I was the little white kid who was running around on a basketball court with my tongue hanging out, assuming that since Michael Jordan's tongue hung out, if my tongue hung out, I could somehow in some way replicate the moves 
that Michael Jordan did. I was not wealthy enough to own a pair of Michael Jordans. I remember the very first time that I saw a pair of Michael Jordan basketball shoes. I didn't know that shoes were status symbols. I was still young enough to think that shoes, you just wore the shoes that your parents gave you, right? And we talked about coveting silver and gold and apparel, right? Michael Jordan, I remember, I can't remember the kid's name. I think it was, his name was Kelly. I remember him coming in to Sunday school one Sunday morning, and everybody was like, dude, are those Jordans? And I think at the time, I'm not even sure if I knew who Michael Jordan was. I just like saw some really crazy black, white, and red tennis shoes and thinking, that's cool. Those are cool. I want some of those. Michael Jordan did things on the basketball court that no one else could do. And there were a bunch of us at the time who watched Michael Jordan, and then we would go and try to do what Michael Jordan did. Now, that was ridiculous. There are a lot of reasons why then and now I have no business whatsoever trying to replicate anything Michael Jordan has ever done. And it, you know, it, it was only in my mind that what I was doing in any way, shape, or form represented or replicated what Michael uh, Jordan was doing on the basketball court. But the principle that was happening there was we were, I, I was looking to the example of someone and then trying to replicate what they did. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is standing before a group of pastors, and he's actually telling them, I lived this way, I ministered this way, and I want you to minister the same way. And at first glance, we might read through what Paul is doing here, and we might think, bro, you're kind of, that's a little bit proud to say, like, you'll, you'll remember from the beginning how I ministered among you, and now go minister the same way. But, but that's actually not at all what Paul is doing. Paul is actually doing one of the most helpful things he can do. He, he is saying, as he has said in other places, right, 1 Corinthians, he says, follow me. And do you remember how the rest of the verse goes? Follow me as what? As I follow Christ. Paul is saying, I'm setting an example for you, and he specifically is teaching a group of pastors. So the passage that we're looking at this morning, verse 17 through 38, it's like we are, we are tuning in to a pastor's conference where Paul, the apostle, who has been responsible to disciple other pastors and disciple other pastors who are now raising up other pastors, we're listening to him give a spiel, a, a talk, a, a sermon to other pastors. We're listening to a sermon of a sermon to someone that isn't us. This is what we're doing. We're, we're, we're looking at Paul's sermon to the pastor's of the church at Ephesus. And even though most in here are not pastors and never will be, there is a lot for us to learn. Because the example of other Christians inspires us to greater faithfulness. That's the main point this morning. The example of other Christians inspires us to faithfulness. Watching Michael Jordan play basketball on the basketball court inspired me to at least attempt greater things on the basketball court. Looking at the lives of Janie and Larry, and I know that this makes them uncomfortable for me to even talk this way, but, but it's a perfect example of what we're looking at this morning. Looking at the examples of other people who have lived before us, people who are not perfect, but people who have been faithful in the same direction for a long time, inspires us 
to live the same way, inspires us to faithfulness. And so as we read through, look through Paul's sermon this morning, I want us to look at it through four different, uh, in four different uh, stages. First, I want us to see Paul and him discussing how that he was faithful. So point number one will be, I was, from Paul's perspective, it's as though Paul is talking here. Paul says, number one, I was faithful. Number two, he says, I will be faithful. Number three, he says, so now you be faithful. And lastly, he's going to say, because God is faithful. I am faithful. I will be faithful. Right? Like, so I, I have been faithful. I will be faithful. You be faithful because he is faithful. Okay? Point number one. I was faithful. See, right there at the very beginning, as Paul begins this sermon to the pastors, he says, at halfway through verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you. The whole time, from the first day that I set foot into Asia, and now he begins to remind them of how he ministered among them, how, first of all, how he lived, I, how I lived among you the whole time. Serving, verse 18, I was serving humbly and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul is reminding them of how he lived. And the way he lived, he lived as a man who was serving other people and as a man who lived humbly before them and as a man who lived through difficulties in the ministry that he had given up, uh, that, that God had brought into his path. And brothers and sisters, often when, when we live, we are living primarily, we live primarily for ourselves and not for others. I mean, it, it, you shouldn't have to rewind very far back in your own personal life to recall the reality that, yeah, like most of the choices that I'm making are for me. This is how we almost automatically live. Um, many of you have, uh, have been here and have met Angie's parents, and uh, her dad is a fantastic Christian preacher and minister and teaches um, at a Christian uh, school and seminary and ministers in his local church. And, uh, and exercise, he used to, he used to um, do a lot of teaching to, to teens in the summer at, at different Christian camps, and he would have them do this, this exercise where... Uh, you would have to write out 75 ways you're selfish. 75 ways you're selfish. I've, I've done this exercise, and I've done it more than once. And you get the first five or six pretty quickly. They come pretty quickly, right? And then you're like, what's? I mean, I can't think of any more. But the ex like you, have, you have to write down 75 ways that you demonstrate selfishness in your life. And then you come up with number eight, number nine, and then you get to 10, and then you get to 15, you think this is never going to end. And then it seems like once you get past like number 20 or 25, all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm almost constantly in every single way preferring my own way over the way of others. I am intensely and constantly selfish. Now, if you're brave enough to do it, I encourage you to try it. 
it it will it will uh, like I said the first the first twenty or so may come rough, and then at some point you'll hit uh, a point where it it you, you, like you'll think I'm glad he said only seventy five, I'm glad I got to stop at seventy five because I could have kept going. Paul is setting an example for us of how he lived, how he served, how he served others, and how he did it humbly and with tears and with trials. A lot of times when we look at the people who are leaders and, you know, the, the, the leaders in the corporate world or even sometimes the leaders in, um, in, in, in broader Christianity, and we expect, we want someone who is strong and, you know, the, the humility thing or the tears thing or that, like, those are, that's for, those are for weaker people. We want someone who, uh, we don't care whether or not he's humble, we want him to be strong, we want him to be um, courageous, and, and strength and courage are important things. But Paul is saying here, look, brothers, you know how, that I, how I served, how I served humbly and through difficulty. And what I taught, not only did I set an example for you on how I lived among you, but I, I set an example for what I taught. While I was here, look in verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I knew the word of God and I I moved toward you with the word of God. And I, I, with all that was in me, I tried to teach you the things that would profit and benefit you. That's why I was here. I didn't shrink back, right? The idea of shrinking back is to think, ah, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna be, I'm timid. I'm not sure that I should wade into your life with this truth. It might upset you. It might bother you. Uh, but no, I came to you with anything that was profitable, and I was teaching you in public settings like this and from house to house. In our current context, it would mean this. Like, I taught you on Sunday mornings, but then I also went to lunch with you, or I had you into my home, or I went into your home, or we had coffee together, or I called you on the phone, and I, and I shared with you the things that I knew that you needed. As your pastor, I was trying to pastor you wisely and well. Testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks, right? Like, the people that were my home people, and the people that were maybe outside of my um, uh, my, my upbringing and my background. And what I taught was repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. Paul is just constantly teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then if you look down, so he's, he's talking about, I lived, I lived in such a way that was an example. I taught in such a way that was an example. And then you jump all the way down to verses 33 through 35, which are kind of a, an interesting little tag there at the end of this passage. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, but you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Right? Paul was a tent maker. He worked. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I was reading through this passage last night uh, with my family um, for our evening devotions, and uh, and we usually read through it, and we'll just talk about it for a minute. And Angie asked the very insightful question: How can that? How can that really be? I'm glad she was. She was kind of asking the kids, which I'm glad she wasn't like directing the question at me because I was kind of like. Yeah, I, I, I don't do real, real good with this. What, brothers and sisters, what can change our hearts from, from the uh, I want, I want, I want to it's actually more like I actually am more blessed to give than to receive. And I think immediately we start to think of, well, I like to give my, kid, my grandkids presents at Christmas. 
I don't think that's I don't think that's Paul's limit here on it's more blessed to give than to receive. I don't think he's just saying, well, as long as you like giving gifts to people that you like, then you understand Christ's words here. I think what Paul is getting at here is as, as someone who knows Christ and is walking with him and is living a life that's exemplary, like my blessing comes far more when others are blessed than when I am blessed. Like I'm not, I'm not, he already said, I, I'm not coveting silver or gold or apparel. I'm not bound up in me getting things. I, I want to be a blessing to other people. And so Paul is living this life that's just really exemplary, right? I lived in a way that was an example to you. I taught in a way that was an example to you. I worked and gave and I was generous in a way that was really, um, th- that was generous. And so I'm an example of, of faithfulness. Now, again, we might be tempted to think, that Paul's just being proud and Paul's being braggadocious here. But brothers and sisters, I think what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, I, God, God has given us responsibility to live a Christian life in a certain way and to live as a pastor in a certain way. And I want you to, I want you to be able to see what this looks like. I love really intensely practical things. It is so helpful for me to see. Like, like so... If there's, um, if there's something on YouTube on how to change this certain, you know, a filter in your car, I'm going to watch it on YouTube and watch someone do it because I want to see exactly what that thing looks like. When, when, we, when we are wanting to learn about things, we often look to the lives of other people who have done it in a way that's an example. I like to hear pastors talk about their weekly schedule and how they prepare for sermons, and what books they're reading, and what their library looks like, and what their desk looks like. I'm like this, like I, I have been known to ask pastors, hey, can I come in and look in your study? Like I just want to see what your, what your office looks like. I, I enjoy seeing and, and learning from an example of someone else, and I think many of us are that way. We're looking, we're looking for examples, we're looking for advice, but brothers and sisters, often... We're more willing. We're more willing to receive advice and look to the example of someone else in the least important areas, and ignore the most important areas. And God has really put His finger on my own heart in my own life. And I'll just use a, a personal example because it's very unflattering. But like, I, I spend. I don't know about more time. I spend a lot of time reading and watching and learning about my hobby with sometimes greater passion than I do about becoming a godly husband and a godly father and a godly pastor. There's, there, there can be like this reversal of like the less important something is, the more I'm willing to receive the example and the input and the advice of others. And the more important the thing actually is, the less I'm willing to receive the input and example and advice of others. Does that make sense? I, now, I might be the only one in here who's like that, but I doubt that's the case. Paul has lived a very exemplary life, and then, and he's not, he's, and, 
And this isn't just being legalistic, right? He has said, follow me as I follow Christ. So his goal isn't simply come, I'm being an example for you, so now come and live just like me so that you can be cool like me. My, my great and desperate hope is that my children will be far better Christian than I am. Paul is saying, follow me as I follow Christ. So let me ask you, where will your children learn what it looks like to be a Christian? And that, again, that's not being legalistic. This is how God has set things up to be. So he, Paul has said, I, will, I have been faithful. And then he goes on to say, and, and I will continue to be faithful. Verse 22, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit or controlled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the thing that I do know what will happen to me there. The Holy Spirit has already testified to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me, right? So if I said, look, when you go to Hartley today, imprisonment and affliction awaits you. You'd be like, I think I'll avoid Hartley. I think I'll pass on Hartley today. I'll pass on Hartley forever just to make sure that imprisonment and affliction aren't part of my future. And yet here, Paul has already been told by God, you've got a tough road ahead of you, bro. You've got a tough road ahead of you, and yet I want you to go. And Paul, in the face of certain affliction, says, I'm, I'm going to be faithful. And we're going to talk about what's, what's, what's the engine that's driving that, um, what, what the, the engine that's driving that for Paul. My life is not what I value. Verse 24 is just astounding to me. Verse 24 is one of those verses that you read and you kind of want to, you want to get past it quickly, lest it mean what it actually says. And lest you have to now come to terms with what it actually says. Paul says, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here is a man who is truly saying, my life is not what I value. My comfort is not what I'm in pursuit of. My pleasure is not the main thing to me. My comfort is not what I'm in pursuit of. In fact, those things don't matter to me, but there is one thing that is absolutely consuming my attention. There's one thing that I am obsessed with. There's, there's, there's one thing that I am in desperate pursuit of, and, I, and that is this, faithfulness to him. That's the summary of the rest of verse 24. I just want to be faithful to the ministry that God has called me to. The ministry that I receive from the Lord, I want, to, I want to be faithful to that and to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, brothers and sisters, God has not given all of us the same ministry that he has given to Paul. He is unique in his call to the apostleship. He is unique in his call to go and equip men to plant churches, right? God has not given that, this exact same um, ministry responsibility to every single one of us. For, for most of us, faithfully living as a husband and as a father and as a business owner, like th those are the things that God has given us to do. And yet, in that stewardship, the end of verse 24 is the same for all of us, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We need to live our mission, the mission that God has given us. We live our mission in such a way that our lives are a testimony. They testify 
to the good news of the grace of God. That's what the word gospel means. The word gospel actually means good news. That ministry that Paul has and the ministry that we have is the good news about the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to try to say it every single Sunday I ever preach, but the, the gospel is good news. It's not good advice. It's not, here's what you must do in order to make God happy with you. It is, this is what Christ has done for you so that you can be acceptable to God. What, what makes us acceptable to God has never been, nor will it ever be, our own works, because we always fall short. What makes us acceptable to God is that Jesus lived the life that I was supposed to live and failed to, and that Jesus took um, the sin on the cross and bore the wrath of God that I should have borne, and he did those things for me so that when I put my faith in Christ, that righteousness is now given to me, and I stand before God in the righteousness of whom? In my own righteousness? Nope, I don't have any. Stand before God in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's really good news. That's like the best news. That's the definite article, capital T, the good news is what Christ has done for us. And so many religions and even so many well-intentioned and good uh, people and even churches that should know better preach a gospel that is not good news, but it's good advice. And it's pull yourself up by the bootstraps and work hard and maybe God will be satisfied with you. Brothers and sisters, if you've lived an hour on this planet, you will know that there is nothing good that dwells in you. Even when you do the very best things that you can to the very best of your ability, at the end of that, you are proud that you did it. Or you really hope that your wife saw you do it. Or you did that so that you can get what you wanted from your spouse or whatever, 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 right? Like the very best things I do, the very best things I do, I don't have to think long about it and realize, oh yeah, that, was, that is stained with my fingerprints. My father-in-law calls that when God takes the, the trash can lid off of your heart and lets you see what's in you. Some of you have had that experience. I actually hope that many of you have had that experience because what that does is it turns our eyes off of ourselves and we have to look to Christ. Paul says, I have been faithful and I will be faithful. He was on mission for Christ uh, uh, through verse 20, let me read verse 25. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I, test, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And here he reiterates again, I told you everything that I was supposed to tell you. I made, I made the good news about Jesus the main thing, but I shared with you the whole counsel of God. And it's even one of the values, I think, of preaching systematically through books of the Bible. I don't get to skip hard things or unpleasant things. We just keep going, keep going, keep going, declaring the whole counsel of God. And Paul's example of how he lived the Christian ministry is powerful. And when we're seeking to get better at certain things, we don't simply want advice. We also want an example. And so we have the example of Paul here. And Lord willing, we have the example of other brothers and sisters around us. Paul has said that I have been faithful and I will be faithful. And then he says, now I want you to be faithful. Look in verse 28. 
Again, Paul is addressing pastors here. I want to keep it in the appropriate context. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Paul, uh, Paul says, now, now I want you to be faithful, and here's the first place I want you to look. I want you to look at you. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Now, again, this is Paul addressing pastors on how they are to take care of themselves as they pastor churches. But I think there's a lot of value and there's a lot of application for all of us in this. Watch yourself. The great British pastor Charles Spurgeon, talking about pastors, said this, Some men are great in the pulpit and terrible in life, so that when they go into the pulpit, you wish they will never come out. And when they are out of the pulpit, you hope that they will never go in. Brothers and sisters, God forbid that pastors live this way, and yet some do. Paul first gives this warning to pastors, and he says, pay careful attention to yourself. This is, this is one of those passages that I don't get a pass on, right? And it is awkward for me to stand before you and to preach on a passage like this where I'm saying, no, like, Paul is actually talking to Jeremy McMorris in a unique way with a phrase like that. that. Pastors are supposed to give very careful, very specific attention to themselves. A am I being faithful? Am I really real? I, I, as a pastor, are you, are you just talking the talk or are you also really living and walking the walk? Watch yourselves, pastors, and then watch the church, verse 28. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care, that word, that, that phrase to care is actually the word shepherd, to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So Paul is saying, look, pay careful attention to yourself and then pay, pay very careful attention to the sheep. It's easier for me to give careful attention to the, to the group and to preach to the group and to say hard things to the group than it is for a pastor to get one-on-one -on -one with you and to say the hard or difficult or challenging things to individuals. Right? Because I'm aware of my own sin and I think, well, I'm a hypocrite. How can I go talk to them about their sin when I know the sin that's in my own life? And yet Paul is saying, Pay careful attention to the sheep that God has made you shepherd of because they're not yours. They've been, they've been purchased with the most incredibly valuable price that's ever been paid for anything. Look at the end of verse 28, which he obtained with his own blood. This is one of the most, um, th this is one of those passages in Scripture um, that, that scares me, that terrifies me. Um, you know what it's like. There was a time uh, I was at a hunting show years ago, the Dallas Safari Club show, and I was at the, I think it was the Beretta booth, and I want to say that there was a double barrel side-by-side -side shotgun that cost upwards of $200,000. And it was kind of like, like on this really sturdy rack. Um, there was another like custom-built elephant gun that was, I want to say, a quarter of a million dollars, but it was like under glass. Okay, But this one, like you could go pick up. And, and I saw the price tag, 
And like in my brain, I was doing the like, I really want to touch that thing. In fact, I actually want to pick it up all the way off of the stand and hold it under my own power and like risk dropping it. But man, I'm not going to drop it. But like I really, that th- I really want to try that. And like in my brain, I'm thinking, dude, don't be stupid. Like why, like you can just look at it. Why does your hand have to touch it? You know what I did? I picked it up. I took it off the, I took it off the stand and I held it there for a minute. But like I held that shotgun very differently then I hold my Beretta Nova pump action shotgun, right? I held, I held that one very differently. I have dropped my shotgun. I have fallen with my shotgun where the shotgun hit before, hit the ground before, I, and mud all over the shotgun, right? Like, and I got up and wiped it off and wiped myself off, and off, off I went without really even giving any consideration. That thing was incredibly valuable, and I handled it differently than any gun I've ever handled before. Brothers and sisters, the the church of God is the thing that he has purchased with his own blood. And as a pastor and men in in here whom God may be stirring hearts, I think there are men in here that are going to end up serving this church as elders, and there may even be some men, younger men in here who God has, like I said, I'm hoping that God will use this passage um, even to uh, start a fire in the hearts and minds of other men and women to serve Christ's church uh, and leadership someday. Um. But, but be aware that this is an incredibly valuable thing, and it's important how we do this. I will not always get it right, but I will seek, by God's grace, to be faithful in the way that I watch out for the church. So watch yourself, watch the church, watch out for those outside the church. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, right? The, the, um, th- this is um, the story of the big bad wolf, right? He puts on puts on grandmother's clothes and gets in grandmother's bed, and he looks, somehow he fools the little red riding hood. The little red riding hood must have had an incredibly ugly grandmother to walk in and think, oh, that, the grandmother, you know what big teeth you have, right? In this, in this situation, right, they look just like you and I look, but they're wolves. They're actually wolves in sheep's clothing. They're wolves on the inside, and they have come to do harm to the church. And so what God has done is he's given shepherds staffs and rods to whip the, the, the wolves and to, to, uh, to do harm to the wolves to, to get rid of them. Watch out from the outside and be alert, even from within, verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That has, this has always been this way in the church, and it will continue to be this way within the church. Or even within the church, people rise up and they start speaking things that are close to the truth, but they're twisted. And people will say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we think that this is right. And they will lead away people after them. As pastors, you need pastors who will be watchful of themselves and watch the church and watch outside the church and watch amongst even the, the, the teachers and leaders within and they're to be alert. Therefore, be alert, verse 31. Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So you be faithful. Pastors, you be faithful. And church family, you be faithful. You be alert. Now, if I ended there, that's a pretty tall order for any pastor, and that's a really tall order for any church, and we would kind of leave thinking, whoa, like, this is serious, and there's a lot of work to do. And, Jeremy, I just came off of a week of failing mostly, and now I have, like, this example of Paul who, if, in case you don't remember, is an apostle, right? I mean, there's, like, Jesus, and then there's 
handful of these apostles, and I'm supposed to be like him? I love what Paul does here in verse 32. And now, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, there are several verses that I've preached through here this morning that I could preach an entire sermon on. This is another one of them here. But let's just focus in on the phrase, I commend you to God. When you're a little child and there's a problem at home and dad comes home, if there's a thunderstorm um, if, and, and you can just get to mom or you can just get to dad or if you, if you have an owie, you go to mom, right? If there's a thunderstorm, you go get in your parents' room. But like there's this authority figure and if you know if I can get, if I can be in the presence of this strong, powerful authority figure, I'm going to be okay. And so what Paul does is he says, look, look at my example. I want you to go be faithful. I want you to go be an example. But look, I'm, I'm commending you. I'm entrusting you to the one who absolutely will take care of you. Some of us have friends. Now, any human can fail us, but some of us have friends, and we know this friend has stuck with me. They have seen me at my absolute worst. They have spoken truth into my life time and time again. And like, I, I trust this person. And yet you know that even with that person, there's the potential that they could betray you. There is the, the potential that they will disappoint you, but not here with God. As Paul commends the pastors of the church of Ephesus to God in their hearts and in their minds, he is breathing into them a certainty, a, um, a stability, a bedrock that will strengthen them with, look, I'm commending you to God. I'm giving you to God. He is faithful to God, to the word of his grace. What is, what is God and the word of his grace able to do? It's able to build you up. I've just told you how I was built up and how I want you to be built up, but you might be sitting there thinking, I can't do this. So I'm going to commend you to God. I'm going to give you to the skilled carpenter who can build you up. I'm going to give you to the mechanic who can take care of you. I'm going to commend you to the one who can build you up the way that I've just told you you must be built up. Build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That inheritance is referring to that ultimate day, that final day when we will be forever with the Lord. We sang that this morning when we shall be forever with the Lord, when disappointment, fear, and pain are gone. Do you long for that? I long for that more than I've ever longed for that. There, there, is, there is an inheritance coming. Many, many of us in this room, many in our community, friends of mine that I know, are suffering. But the certainty that there is a day coming, an inheritance to all those who are sanctified, and that phrase sanctified there refers to the people of God. Those who have been saved and are growing in Christ, there's an inheritance coming, and he will surely build you up. God, God is faithful. Paul says, I was faithful. I will be faithful. You need to be faithful. But remember that God is faithful. The reason the gospel is the gospel 
is because of the grace of God. And because the grace of God is what it is. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says this, Faithful is he who has called you who also will do it. It's like me hiring you to do a job and then me doing the job and then giving you the credit and the payout for doing the job. Jesus come, uh, Paul says, come and follow Christ, teach the gospel, live an exemplary life, and then reminds us, and by the way, Jesus lived the life for you. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Faithful is he who has called you. I love this verse. I think of it all the time. God is faithful. He's the one who has called you to Christianity, and he is the one who will do it and make sure it's done. He has done it ultimately through Christ. And he's going to work that out. There's going to be a, you, you, will, you will stumble and you will fall, but the overall tra- trajectory of your life is one of growth in Christ-likeness. God has done this through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, which we're going to celebrate through communion here in just a moment. And then we get to the end. We get to the end of this passage. And sometimes I think we forget. Sometimes when we read the stories of the scripture in black and white, we forget how intensely emotional something like this can be. Have any of you shed tears when family member, when you go and you visit family members on vacation or family members come and visit you on vacation and you know it's probably going to be a long time before I get to see them again? And maybe when they leave, you shed some tears. Has, has anyone ever done this, right? Or maybe even, like I've done this before, right? Like I'll see my, I, don't, I don't get to see my parents real often or like, in my, um, with my grandfather in his later years, like every time that we would leave, I would think, I wonder if that's the last time that I get to see him. So take, take that emotional uh, response and, and think about what Paul and the believers here in Miletus, the, the pastors here, the men, I mean, these, pa- these pastors in Ephesus are direct descendants from Paul, Timothy, Titus, and, and now these guys are ministering there in Ephesus. In verse 36, and when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. I, lo- I, love, I, mean, I love thinking through the physicalness of this. What, what might this have looked like? I mean, it's probably Paul and the other elders there. And when you kneel to pray with someone, right, sometimes you put your arms around each other. I mean, we don't know exactly. What, were they face all the way down on the ground? Right, you can imagine maybe they've got they've all got their hands on the shoulder of Paul, and they are they are praying at they are, they are praying to God, and there was much weeping on the part of all. Right, like they they're aware, and there's probably men and women involved in this scene here as well. There's weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, they hugged him and kissed him, and were sorrowful. Most of all, they were sorrowful because, verse 38, the word of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. Sometimes when we leave a loved one, right, I leave my grandparents' house and I wonder, will this be the last time I see my, my father-in-law or my, my grandfather? Um, and that can be a really sad thing. But some of you have had to say goodbye to people and you knew for sure it was going to be the last time you saw them. Right? I was talking with a, with a Christian friend of mine recently, and he was, he was describing how a, a dear friend of his who had terminal cancer had come to visit. And the whole purpose of the visit, he lived in another state, he came here to Texas to visit this man. And the whole purpose of the visit was to see him before he died. 
right? So imagine a good friend of yours, and this was not an old, this was not an elderly man, a younger man. He's got terminal cancer, and he comes in, right, and he hangs out with you for, you know, an afternoon or whatever, and you're know, sitting there at the, uh, the coffee table, and it comes time, like, they got to go. They're leaving. And, and in that moment, it is, they're keenly aware, like, this, this is goodbye forever. I mean, as Christians, there's not a forever goodbye, but this is goodbye for now. And this man who had the terminal cancer totally took the tension out of the room by standing up, reaching out to give a handshake and a hug to this friend and said to him, I'll see you later. Now, as Christians, that's true, right? But we know that, we know that I, I'm trying to get a, get a sense for, of us, uh, for us of the emotion that, that was happening here in this place as Paul and these men are saying goodbye. They were sorrowful because they knew they weren't going to see him again. They, will, they would not see his face again. And then I love how, it's, how it ends. And they accompanied him to the ship, right? I mean, you can, we do this, right? Someone's leaving your house and they hot climb in their minivan or their SUV or whatever and everybody gets in. And what do you do? You don't like close the door and, right? You go out into the driveway, right? And you wave and the kids run out into the road and, and watch them as far out as they can until the person's gone. And, and likely this is the scene here where, where Paul's brothers in the faith are sad to see him go, and yet they watch him until he is gone. And, and this is the end of that scene. Paul now goes on to Jerusalem, and yet he leaves in the hearts and in the minds of those Ephesian pastors a fire that would go on for thousands of years, even to today, where those men and their faithfulness raised up new men and women who were faithful, and those men and women raised up new men and women who were faithful, and so on and so forth. And Larry and Janie have taught for over 50 years, and now and God is raising up here with, at Liberty. New, like this, we are a direct line from this kind of ministry in the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, the example of other Christians inspires us to faithfulness because they're primarily reminding us of God's faithfulness. That's why the faithfulness of other Christians is so encouraging to us. Because if it's just, I have to be awesome like so-and-so, I'm going to fail. But when I can see in their life the faithfulness of God, when I look into uh, Larry and Janie's life, yes, they are faithful, but it's not even like they're so awesome and I could never, it's God has been faithful to them you know what? God will be faithful to me. I'm commended to him. I'm entrusted to him. He will build me up. He will give me an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Brothers and sisters, the example of other Christians inspires us to faithfulness because they're primarily reminding us of God's faithfulness to us. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, we're going to transition now to our uh, time of celebrating the Lord's Supper together.